Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Tuesday. Today we are talking finally about those new COVID guidelines from the CDC. We are also going to discuss Nancy Pelosi's claim that Mother Earth is very mad at us. And we are going to react to the videos that are circulating from Boston Children's Hospital saying that kids, babies, even infants in the womb know that they are trans and therefore they need to be put on a path of not just puberty blockers, but quote unquote, gender affirming hysterectomies. And then we are going to end with a fun segment. I am going to be rating the best, worst, low rise jeans of the week. As always, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right, a couple things to say before we get into it. One, if you're watching this, I'm sorry that my hair looks like a bird's nest. I literally did nothing to it this morning. I was trying to hurry to get out the door. I slept in a like a messy bun like this, which is terrible for your hair. Please don't do this. I also just did a whole like Instagram story about how like you should sleep on your hair in order for it not to be creasy. And I'm a giant, I'm a giant hypocrite when it comes to my when it comes to how I sleep on my hair I guess because this is just how it was this morning so I apologize for that if you are watching on YouTube um all right I also wanted to say you should watch my new skit that I had fun doing called the tone police skit where we talk about those people who are constantly chiding especially Christians on social media for how they're saying things that are both necessary and true it doesn't matter that it's necessary and true what matters is that you use the wrong tone so here's a snippet of that I'm with the tone police I'm out here arresting tone violators we're talking people who say things in a way that are a bit harsh, a bit rude, a bit sarcastic, a bit abrupt, saying things that are technically true but hurt people's feelings. That's not okay. All right, so that's on YouTube. That's on Instagram. Go check that out. If you haven't listened to yesterday's interview with Zuby, we talked about a lot of different news and culture things and politics, but really the theme was kind of this abdication of personal responsibility and allergy to self-control that our country is going through right now and all the implications of that. Also, we haven't done this in a while. I thought it would be fun to ask you guys for some voicemails that we will play at the end of an episode, maybe next week or the next after that, just as kind of like a fun Um, a fun segment at the end. And this time I am asking for your mom moments, special mom moments. So I'm talking about funny, like a funny conversation that you had with your kid, or maybe like a heartwarming moment that you had with your child, something challenging, something relatable, maybe a piece of advice that you have that you've learned, whether you are a grandmother or whether you're a new mom, we would appreciate it. You can call 682-503-1369 and leave us a voicemail. Try to keep it as concise as you can. 682-503-1369. We will read some of those in a couple weeks. All right, before we get into everything that we're going to talk about today, let me tell you about our first sponsor of the day, and that is My Patriot Supply. I know that you're like me, feeding your family is a number one priority, and it seems very 
unstable and unsure right now when it comes to the supply chain and how much access we are going to have to food in the future. So you just want to make sure that your family is taken care of. It's better safe than sorry, especially when it comes to feeding yourself and your family. And that is why I endorse my Patriot Supply. Their food is really good. It stays fresh for up to 25 years. It's easy to store and to prepare. So it's an emergency food kit that you'll want for you and your family. They've got a three-month emergency food kit. You'll want to get one for every member of your family. And when you use my link, preparewithally.com, you'll save $250 on your three-month food kit. So that's preparewithally.com, preparewithally.com. All right, first story for the day, we are going to discuss the new COVID guidelines per the CDC. These were released last week, August 11th, and people are simultaneously freaking out and also rolling their eyes and laughing. You've got some people mostly on the left who are saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe the CDC is changing these restrictions and regulations. What are we supposed to do? How are we going to survive? And then you've got people mostly on the right saying, huh, this is interesting. We've been saying all along that this should be the guidance. And we were basically punished for those suggestions. So let me explain why you're seeing those reactions. So we did see a change in restrictions all the way back in June from the CDC that said that there was no more negative test requirement for people flying into the United States from foreign countries, regardless of vaccination status. And so now they've changed the restrictions even more. Uh, You are no longer to be treated differently as far as quarantining, isolation, social distancing, and masking goes if you are vaccinated versus if you are unvaccinated. You no longer have to isolate at all if you have been exposed to the virus. And when I say have to isolate, it's not like necessarily the CDC is the one you know, coming to your house and making sure that you are isolating. But as far as their rules go, as far as their guidance goes, they're saying you no longer need to isolate if you've been exposed to the virus. You only need to isolate, the CDC says, if you test positive and or you have symptoms. You no longer need to stay six feet away from others. I mean, that was always so arbitrary and so, so silly. Contact tracing and testing, they say should be limited to high risk places like hospitals and nursing homes. And here's an interesting one. They say you only need to wear a mask if you have symptoms or test positive or at least through day 10 of your illness. Now, this is interesting because the argument that we heard is circa June of 2020 was that everyone needed to wear a mask at all times because of something called asymptomatic spread, that you could feel totally healthy and still be spreading COVID. And so you at least need to wear these cloth masks to make sure that you're not spreading COVID to other people. Well, not only have we seen data set after data set show us that mask mandates do not reduce transmission, they don't reduce uh, the case rate, they don't they don't have any correlation whatsoever to the death rate. And we can link past episodes on that data in the description of this episode so you can go check that out. But we were also, um, we were 
uh, we've also found out that really asymptomatic spread is not what is driving the transmission of COVID. And yet that idea was the basis for forcing even little children to wear their dirty and slimy and ill-fitting Spider-Man mask to school. Um, And as I said, vaccinated people and non-vaccinated people are being told to now follow the same protocol when it comes to masking, the same restrictions when it comes to masking and comes to uh, quarantine. So let's think about this a little bit. You may remember just a few months ago, and really we were in the thick of it last year and last spring, this push for forced vaccinations. And employees, public and private sector, were facing certain economic demise if they refused to get a vaccine. Now, some corporations offered some exemptions, but a lot of people lost their jobs. We're talking about nurses. We're talking about teachers. We're talking about military members who still right now, right now are being purged because of their vaccination status. The federal government, under the direction of Joe Biden, said that they were going to fine corporations with more than 100 employees who refused to mandate the vaccines for their employees. So people faced the threat of losing their entire livelihood and being able to feed their family because they refused a vaccine that we know now does not actually stop infection or transmission. And that is what we were told. We were told by... Dr. Fauci, we were told by the CDC, we were told by Rachel Maddow, we were told by all of the Twitter scientists and pseudo medical experts that if you get the vaccine, that the virus will stop, that you're not even really probably going to get uh, infected at all. But if you do get infected, it's going to ensure that you don't spread the virus to other people. I mean, that was the argument. That was the argument for mandating the vaccine. That was the argument that we that we heard from even the church in a lot of cases, that this is how you love and take care of your neighbor, especially the most vulnerable. And now what do we know? That you are just as likely to get infected with COVID if you have the vaccine, which means you're just as likely to spread the virus. You're not going to get infected with COVID and not be contagious just because you have the vaccine that never made sense. And yet this was used as the premise to ruin people's lives, to steal their livelihood. And as I said, it is still happening. Yes, in the military, but also in corporations. I get messages from you guys on a daily basis saying that your husband, your spouse, or you are facing termination because you are refusing to get the vaccine. Now, I think one piece of hope that we have is that um, there is going to be, in some cases, some payback here, especially for the hospitals that pushed this on their staff. And there was a story, I first read it in Fox Business, and the headline is this, healthcare workers fired over vaccine mandate awarded $10 million in settlement. So here's what the article says, quote, Illinois healthcare workers who were fired or otherwise impacted by their hospital's COVID-19 vaccine mandate will receive a $10 million settlement after filing a lawsuit challenging the rule. 
Let this case be a warning to employers that violated Title VII. Uh, Title VII prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council, the group behind the lawsuit, told the Washington Examiner, it is, expe- it is especially significant and gratifying that this first class-wide COVID settlement protects health care workers. So... The case centers around workers at North Shore University Health System. They filed a lawsuit last October claiming their employer illegally refused to grant any religious exemptions to a COVID-19 vaccine mandate. And that is why the attorney is saying that this violated Title VII. So this particular lawsuit has to do with religious discrimination, which is great. I'm so glad that they are getting this $10 million settlement that is well-deserved. But it shouldn't only be on the basis of religious discrimination that people can get payback for this. I mean, what about everyone else? We should have never been forced to put what is, I think that we can safely say now, even though people have gotten kicked off platforms for saying this, an experimental and not so great vaccine into their body. Uh, Nicole uh, Safier, I think that's how you pronounce her name, Dr. Nicole Safier. She tweeted this, and I thought that this was a really good suggestion. She said, now that the CDC no longer differentiates between COVID vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals, every employee fired for being unvaccinated should be given their job back with a formal apology and back pay. Now, talk about rightful reparations. Like, talk about a justified demand for reparations. I mean, we're talking about real, physical, tangible harm that has been caused um, and has, uh, has has been caused by the government in a lot of cases and has inflicted damage on real people who are around today who can actually quantify the consequences that they have had to deal with because of their refusal to inject themselves with a substance that they didn't want to inject themselves with. There should absolutely be a repair there. If there was any real justice and if this government really cared about justice and true equality, well, they wouldn't have tried to issue or force the mandate in the first place, but they certainly would be paying for their mistake. But we know enough about government to know that that is not going to happen. Remember what we've talked about in the past, that you know who has the power in society by seeing who gets rewarded for being wrong, and who gets in trouble for being right. And that's certainly the case when it comes to reporting on vaccines and on COVID. I mean, you'll remember Alex Berenson. He has a substack that's mostly dedicated to the ineffectiveness of the vaccine. He was suspended from Twitter for talking about this stuff. He had to sue Twitter to get back on. And he recently published emails between Twitter employees uh, who said that the White House told them to suspend him. I mean, talk about fascism, the wedding of government and corporate power, not just any corporation, but a corporation that really shapes our politics and culture because it controls our cultural and political megaphone. And so now the CDC is saying that the vaccine doesn't prevent illness and death. So are we going to ever get 
any apology? Are we ever going to see any restoration of the accounts that got kicked off for saying this several months ago or for people who lost their livelihoods? As I already said, I highly doubt it. The Pfizer CEO, Albert Burla, he just announced that he came down with COVID. He tweeted this, I would like to let you know that I've tested positive for COVID-19. I'm thankful to have received four doses of the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, and I am feeling well while experiencing very mild symptoms. I'm isolating and have started a course of Paxlovid. Now, what's also interesting is that in January of 2021, he tweeted this, excited to share that updated analysis from our phase three study with Bio BioNTech also showed that our COVID-19 vaccine was 100% effective in preventing COVID-19 cases in South Africa. Is that so? That's interesting. Um, He is not the only one who has uh, put out a message like this. I mean, almost verbatim, all of these Democrat leaders, whenever they come down with COVID, they all say the same thing. So Gavin Newsom, he tweeted this in May. He said, this morning I tested positive for COVID-19, grateful to be vaccinated and for treatments like Paxlovid. Barack Obama, uh, let's see, this was March of 2022. I just tested positive for covid And I'm grateful to be vaccinated and boosted. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, this is January 2022. I tested positive for COVID. I I feel fine, which I credit to being vaccinated and boosted. Elizabeth Warren, tested positive, grateful for the protection of the vaccine. And then let's see, you've got Representative Peter Welch, tested positive, grateful for the protection of the vaccine. I guess they just get the talking points in some kind of mass email. And this is what their communications directors are told that they have to say. Uh, John Tory, this morning, I tested positive for COVID-19. I'm thankful that I've been fully vaccinated. Hillary Clinton, let's see, this was March of 2022. Well, I've tested positive for COVID. I'm more grateful than ever for the protection vaccines can provide. See, that's how you know a vaccine works really well, is when everyone who got the vaccine gets sick uh, from the illness that the vaccine was supposed to prevent. All right. And everyone says, okay, well, they are protected because they would have gotten a serious illness had they not gotten the vaccine. I'm not saying that that's not true. Maybe that is true in some cases, but I always kind of roll my eyes when I see that, especially from younger people like anyone under the age of 60 saying, oh, I'm so glad that I got the vaccine because my symptoms are mild. Well, guess what? I got zero COVID vaccines and my symptoms were mild. (laughs) Same thing with my whole family. I also didn't take Paxlovid or any of the these pharmaceuticals or anything. I think we took some like supplements and drank water and felt better. I mean, it wasn't fun. I'm not saying COVID is nothing. And of course, we know that there are some, although it's very rare, young, healthy people who get COVID have to go on a ventilator and have maybe even died. Although again, that is extremely, extremely rare. Usually there is some kind of underlying condition. So I'm not saying that absolutely no one should get the vaccine. I'm not saying that it's ineffective for every single type of person every single age group or that it doesn't have any benefit whatsoever. But I think for a lot of people, the cons outweigh the pros. And a lot of people weren't even given the weren't even given the freedom really to make the decision that is best for their body, best for their health and best for their family. I mean, I think a lot of people are just kind of in 
in a, a stage of cope that they're young and they're healthy. They get COVID after they get the vaccine and they convince themselves, oh, see, it was worth getting the vaccine because now I've got mild symptoms. I hate to break it to you, but you more than likely would have had mild symptoms anyway, regardless of you getting the vaccine. Like, I'm just, I'm very thankful. Personally, I'm very thankful that my family and I did not get it. As I said, COVID is not fun. It can be really bad for a lot of people. You have to make the decision that's best for you. But that's been the point all along. You should be able to make that decision without facing the consequence of potential unemployment. Now, just a note about masks, because there was this tweet um, that I saw from a lady named Marie Myung Ok Lee. O- Oak Lee. I don't know. Anyway, she's she's the author and founder of the Asian American uh, Writers Workshop. And she uh, tweeted, CDC is losing guidelines for COVID protection, but I always watch the Nobel Prize winning microbiologist in our building. He exercises every day, takes long walks and wears an N95 mask even outside. Well, that just goes to show that you can be very smart and very unwise. So you can have a lot of degrees and still be a paranoid, unscientific person who wants to wear a mask basically as a symbol of caring for their neighbor. That doesn't mean that he is right. I mean, there's no science backing this idea of wearing an N95 when you're exercising alone outside. I mean, there is absolutely nothing that we know about COVID that would indicate that that is helpful in any way. In fact, I would say that it's harmful. And yet we were told by Francis Collins, we Christians were even told by pastors and influential Christian leaders that wearing a mask at all times, even if it's just your flimsy cloth mask and getting a vaccine and even encouraging your congregants to do that is how you love your neighbor. Not just how you love your neighbor, but also how you love yourself. So I do want to know if those Christians who did that, who kind of propagated that message, if they are going to take back the messages that they gave to their congregants. I mean, we're talking about people here who segregated their congregations by vaccine status, who told their congregants that in order to truly love your neighbor, aka how to be more like Christ, you have to wear a mask. No discussion or debate whatsoever about the effectiveness of masks who basically treated the unvaccinated as not just lepers, but basically apostates. I mean, really measuring someone's righteousness and love for the Lord by whether they are willing to wear a face covering. Are they going to repent from that now that we know that even the CDC is basically admitting, even if it's just implicitly that masks, a universal masking is not necessary and that vaccinated people and unvaccinated people basically have the same health status. So we know as Christians, this is something I've thought I've I've thought about a lot over the past couple of years is I've just seen a lot of Christian leaders kind of like morally extort other Christians into conforming to their ideas about COVID and COVID response. So there is freedom of conscience when it comes to a lot of different things that Christians choose to do and not do. There are obviously a lot of things that we don't really have the freedom to choose between. A lot of things are sin, according to scripture. A lot of things are 
um, not sin, according to scripture. A lot of things are things that we should do to glorify God. But then there are things that aren't necessarily sins or not sins that we have to use wisdom and knowledge and experience discernment of the word of God and the Holy Spirit to try to decide for ourselves what is best. And so there are a lot of things we don't know that we really kind of have to walk through and decide as they come. But there are some things that we do know as Christians. One thing that we know is that we're to love God. The other thing that we know is that we are to love our neighbor. So what does it mean to love God? As I really kind of wrestled with, well, is it really loving your neighbor? Is it really glorifying to God to always wear a mask or to get the vaccine? So loving God is not just kind of like this feeling or doing what society tells you is loving or affirming or nice. We know what loving God actually means. According to scripture, it means keeping his commandments. And one of his commandments is to glorify him with our body. And we also know from scripture that our body is not our own. So this is 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So what does that mean? That means that we have to determine based on our own body and our own understanding about the facts, in this case, about the COVID vaccine, including the use of fetal tissue in the research of the vaccines, we have to determine how to glorify our, uh, how to glorify God with our body when it comes to vaccines. There may be some hard and fast rules and restrictions when it comes to glorifying God with our body, like sexual morality. But when it comes to vaccines, that is something that you are going to have to discern based on the knowledge and the wisdom and the the scriptural foundation that you have. It is not a club to hit someone over the head with and basically tell them that they're not a Christian if they determine based on all those things that the vaccine is not for them. Um, the other thing that we are called to do as Christians is to love our neighbor, Matthew 19, 19, as well as many other places in scripture, we are told you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what is love? Again, is it just kind of following whatever the mainstream says is love? Well, I think that we have a really good example in Christ of what love is actually looks like. And it is seeking the person's, another person's best interest and needs as you would your own self. And as God defines someone's needs and as God defines love and as God defines what is someone's best interest, it doesn't just mean making someone comfortable. So in order to love other people, you first have to obey God and his word and abide by his commandments and his definitions, which means it is not loving your neighbor if you believe based on all of the tools that you have been given by God that the vaccine is immoral or unethical or physically or ethically wrong due to the substance or research. You cannot love other people by disobeying God. Uh, Universal masking, vaccines don't prevent the spread. And so that's not even loving. Basically, what it is at this point is just a symbol. It's just a signal. It's a virtue signal to show what kind of person you want other people to think that you are, which means you're not really loving other people by doing that. You are really loving yourself. You're not really glorifying God by doing that. You are glorifying yourself. Now, it depends on motivations. It 
it depends on the context. I don't think that a mask is ineffective in all circumstances. I think the right well-fitting mask, if you are sick and you are around someone that you don't want to get sick, can actually be helpful. So maybe there are some contexts where wearing a mask is more considerate and more compassionate. But that was not the position of these woke scolds in the church who said that universal, universal masking and vaccine mandates is the only way to love your neighbor. That's bad theology. It's bad science. And I think that the people who pushed that propaganda really owe everyone else an apology, especially the people that they spiritually shamed into doing something that maybe caused an adverse reaction that maybe actually ended up being bad for them. I mean, how is that not pharisaical? Isn't that what Jesus condemned the Pharisees for by placing unfair, unbiblical burdens on the back of of vulnerable people? Like, it wasn't that what he was angry about? Yes, that's a rhetorical question. Um, and so I just wonder, all of the consequences of the misinformation and the dogmatic misinformation about vaccines and masking, I mean, I don't even think we've seen the full consequences of that, certainly when it comes to children and their development, unfortunately. And we still have school districts that are trying to push this stuff, despite the mounds of science that we have contradicting the need for masking in schools. Um, I just wonder, what will this widespread comeuppance look like? Will there be one? I really hope so. I pray so, because I think that that would be justice. All right, moving on to our next story. First, let me tell you about our next sponsor, and that is Birch Gold. So I don't have to tell y'all, inflation is real. You're feeling it in your pocketbook. You're checking your bank account, and you're like, how the heck are we going to get through this with groceries and gas, the price that they are? I understand it's difficult. And that is why it is critical for you to take a hard look at diversifying your savings into gold and silver. If all your money is in the market or tied to the US dollar, you are playing with fire. You want to make sure that your savings are secure. So text Allie to 989-898. Get a free info kit on how to diversify and protect your savings with precious metals. They've got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Text Allie to 989-898. Eight for that free info kit. Alley to 989-898. All right, let's talk about Nancy Pelosi and her comments about Mother Earth. She was talking about this so-called Inflation Reduction Act in front of the press, which Representative Thomas Massey has unaffectionately dubbed the Inflation, uh, Inflation Enhancement Act, because that's, of course, what it's going to do. That's just basic economics. It's going to make inflation even worse. She was talking about it in front of the press and saying how this is going to help all of our climate woes, all the things that are uh, included in this bill. So here she is. Here she is saying just that. How can they vote against the planet? Mother Earth. Mother Earth gets angry from time to time. And uh, this legislation will help us address all of that. Mother Earth gets angry from time to time. So before I talk about the theological implications of a silly pagan comment like that, 
let me let me just let me just say what this bill actually does. So it's a seven hundred and thirty nine billion dollar bill. Three hundred sixty nine billion dollars are slated to go to climate change subsidies. Sixty four billion dollars will go to expanding Obamacare subsidies. The rest, more than three hundred billion dollars, will go to paying down the deficit. Is that how it works? I'm not really sure. The New York Post made a list of the consequences, especially on the working class that this bill will have. It's a likely 17% hike to the average household's natural gas bill, a $12 billion tax on purchase, uh, purchasers of oil or gas products. So if you think the gas price issue is bad now, it's only going to get worse. A 15% tax on corporations reporting at least $1 billion in, pro- uh, $1 billion in profits, which will be passed to Americans in the form of higher prices, less hiring, wage cuts. That's unfortunate. I mean, I don't really care about those major corporations getting taxed more, but the fact is it does have a trickle down effect on you and me. A corporate tax hike ends up being a price hike for us. It's a $124 billion stock buyback tax, which will shrink 401ks, IRAs, and pensions for most Americans. And so we're going to feel this. The working class is certainly going to feel this. I know that Biden has said many times that this is not going to negatively affect anyone or raise taxes on anyone who is not making $400,000 a year. Even nonpartisan groups have said that that's just not true. Now, that is not just a Democrat problem. There are plenty of Republicans who make promises like that, that they just uh, cannot keep and do not even intend to keep. They just hope kind of, I guess, that some people won't notice or won't care very much. Um, but the fact is that this is going to have a big negative effect on the working class. All climate policy does. Climate the climate change movement is a gimmick, as we've talked about several times. We've talked about that with Jackie Daly. It's really just like lining the pockets of people in power, of the most rich, of China. You have to use oil. You have to frack to make all of these devices that we're told are going to fight climate change, like windmills, like solar panels, like electric vehicles. So it's just all a gimmick that is just making very rich the people at the top, but it's oppressing people like you and me. I mean, ask the farmers, for example, or just the communities in middle California, how the environmental agencies and their policies have affected agriculture there. That's what climate policy does. It damages agriculture. It damages self-reliance. It hurts your pocketbook. It hurts farmers and ranchers. And so we are going to see that even more in everyone, whether you're in agriculture or not, of course, is affected by that. Now, let's talk theologically a little bit about Nancy Pelosi's silly statement. Now, of course, she claims to be a devout Catholic, but her support of abortion and basically everything that the Democrat Party stands for, um, it kind of belies that claim. Now, I, of course, am not a Catholic, but I have a lot of Catholic friends who would say that Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden should not be in good standing with the Catholic Church because of the moral beliefs that they say that they hold. And this statement that she made about Mother Earth, she also said Republicans who vote against the bill are voting against Mother Earth. That's every single Republican, by the way. This is a completely partisan bill because, I mean, that's how crazy it is. That's how extreme it is, of course. Um, she said that they are all voting against Mother Earth. And it's extremely revealing about the climate ideology is that it really is just a form of pagan worship. And I know that some people say that it's worshiping creation itself, as Romans 1 talks about, we're worshiping the creature rather than the creator. 
But I would say that that is even too generous of a description when you're talking about the climate activists. Now, some of the activists, yes, they really believe that they're, you know, saving the starfish and that they're protecting polar bears and that they're helping the most vulnerable in our society by fighting climate change. I think that there are a lot of people who are very sincere about that. But Nancy Pelosi, the people at the top, the people are who who are getting rich by this stuff and who are getting more power because of these policies, they're not even worshiping the earth. They're worshiping money. They're worshiping themselves. I mean, it really does come down to self-worship at the end of the day. So I'm not sure that I could say that they're uh, pagans in the traditional sense, that they are like worshiping the trees and the sun and the stars. Again, I think that's too nice of a description. Nancy Pelosi is a self-worshipper. She is a self-idolater. But the language that she uses, Mother Earth, kind of personifying the universe as something with its own will, with its own sovereignty, with its own power to punish people based on how they vote, like based on the policies they support or based on our behavior, um, that is a form of paganism. That is, of course, a form of deadly secularism. Wherever there is animal or earth worship in any society throughout history, you will always find human sacrifice. I believe it was Chesterton who said that. And of course, that's true today, whether you're whether you're looking back in history at the Aztecs or whether you're looking at today and how we sacrifice children through abortion. And the Democrat Party, of course, um, embodies both of those things. Psalm 74, 16 through 17 says, I read this the other day in light of her comments. I thought it was interesting. Yours, the Lord's, is the day. Yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. And then I've read this passage before, which I think is really interesting. God says this to Noah after the flood, Genesis 8:22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God is completely sovereign over the universe. He is completely sovereign over creation. Like there is nothing that we can do. We just don't have the power. We don't have the strength. We don't have the ability to upset or to thwart God's sovereign plan of redemption. Like if we as Christians believe that that Jesus is returning at a predetermined date, whether you're post-mill, pre-mill, all-mill, we all agree that one day Jesus will rule in perfect peace and righteousness. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We all believe in God's total and complete sovereignty. Like if you believe that, you cannot believe that we are powerful enough, that our behavior is influential enough to change God's timeline. Like his eternal plan of redemption, you think rests on whether you recycle your plastics Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't. That's not to say that we shouldn't recycle and that we shouldn't take care of the earth. I think littering is really bad. I think cruelty to animals is really bad. I think we should care about the resources that God has given us. We see in the first chapters of Genesis that he has given human beings dominion over the earth and we should steward and care for the earth in a way that is productive, in a way that is kind, in a way that is thoughtful and compassionate, not just because we care about the creation 
creator. And therefore, we are thankful for the creation that he has given us, but also because we care for our fellow human beings. And that is what should always inform any kind of environmental policy or policy that regulates how we treat the earth. There should be some regulations um, around that and around the protection of those resources, but only insofar as we are looking toward the best interest of human beings, because human beings are the only creatures on earth that are made in the image of God. So going back to the example of like uh, middle California, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but Uh, the California Environmental Agency decided that they wanted to protect this little fish called the Delta smelt. And because of that, um, the the farmers weren't allowed to take water from this particular body of water in order to water their crops. Well, that led to them not being able to grow as many crops and to feed as many people. And it, it wasn't for any other reason except for the protection of this tiny little fish. Now, this is the same state, by the way, that claims to be like a sanctuary state for women who are seeking abortions and is trying to become a sanctuary state for kids who want to chop off their genitals without the consent of their parents. So, I mean, again, once again, you see worship of animals, worship of a creature leads to human sacrifice. California is a really great example of that. So at the expense of human beings, they are passing, um, they have pushed this kind of environmental policy to supposedly help this tiny fish, which of course is not made in the image of God. So it's exactly backwards, most of the environmental policy that we have today. But going back to this truth that we know that God holds all things together, that he is completely sovereign over it. And therefore, while we should be responsible in our stewardship, um, we do not use the power of the government to oppress human beings in order to protect or supposedly protect parts of creation. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. So I like alliterations. You know that we are stewards. People are significant. I couldn't think of a better like S descriptor that I was looking for there. So that's not great. But we are stewards. People are stewards. People are significant and God is sovereign. So we as humans are to be stewards. People are significant, more significant than any other part of creation. And God is sovereign. So that means that, yes, we care about the earth, but that should never trample on the rights and the uh, flourishing of human beings. So Nancy Pelosi, she doesn't surprise me at all. This kind of secularism, this kind of uh paganism. It hurts people. It has always hurt people. This is another example of how humans are extorted with this kind of uh, toxic compassion uh, or maybe fake compassion, faux compassion message that if you are truly a good person or kind or empathetic, you will believe in these liberal policies that actually are oppressive and ineffective and don't glorify God at all. All right, we'll talk about our last story in just one second before we get to our fun segment that we are going to end the episode with. But let me tell you about 
our next sponsor, and that is Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell is the next generation of dietary supplements. And I really love this company, the people that run the company, but I truly like the products too. So I've been taking multivitamins for a very long time, especially when um, I was trying to get pregnant a few years ago for the first time. I wanted to make sure that I had a good multivitamin. And so I took the same multivitamin for a really long time. I guess it worked. I don't really know. One thing I hated about this multivitamin though is that it would like sit in my esophagus after I after I took the pill. I don't have like a problem taking pills or anything like that, but this one, it would like float and you would have to like stand up and drink a bunch of water to make sure that you were actually ingesting it. So I kind of thought maybe that's not really good for my esophagus. Maybe that's not really good for my body. And is it really releasing all of the nutrients that I need, especially during pregnancy? And then I talked to the people at Healthy Cell on the phone a few months ago, and they were telling me something that I didn't know, that most of the multivitamins, the pills and the tablets that we have are made with all these different kinds of like fillers and ingredients that actually make it really hard for not just the pill to go down, but also to digest and also for our body to actually absorb. So that is why Healthy Cell uses um, microgel technology. So it's actually a gel that comes in a packet. It's not just easier to get down, but it also has 165% more absorption than pills. And so you get all the nutrients that you need and you can rest assured knowing that your body is actually getting all of the things that are on the back of the packet, all of the things that you need, especially if you need, you know, that folic acid and all of that that we moms um, that we moms absolutely need. So you can go to healthycell.com slash Allie. That's healthy com. Use code Allie for 20% off your first order. Might as well just try it, especially if you're someone that doesn't really like pills. Like this could be a really good alternative for you. I think multivitamins are really important if you're not getting all those nutrients in your food. So just try this out. It tastes great too. It's got no artificial ingredients. Go to healthycell.com slash Allie for 20% off your first order. Healthycell.com slash Allie. All right, we mentioned last week with Jennifer Law, last Thursday's episode, we talked a little bit more about surrogacy, but also detransition and the gender transition industry and how that is interlocked with the reproductive industry. Really interesting conversation. But we mentioned just in passing these videos that are going around Twitter from Boston Children's Hospital. These are doctors, so-called gender specialists at Boston Children's Hospital, saying that they are performing, quote, gender-affirming hysterectomies. They're also saying things like, oh, children know that they're transgender from the womb or from the time that they're toddlers. So here is one doctor, um, Carrie McGregor. She is a psychologist in the Gender Multi-Specialty Service, G-E-M-S. I would call it G- I would it's called GMS. I would probably call it the Gender Mutilation Service at Boston Children's Hospital. Um, here's what she has to say about um, about kids apparently knowing that they are the opposite gender from really early on. A good portion of children do know as early as seemingly from the womb, and they will usually express their gender identity as very young children, some as soon as they can talk. They might say phrases such as, I'm a girl, or I'm a boy, or I'm going to be a woman, or I'm going to be a mom. I mean, this is patently absurd. The fact that this woman has a degree, went to school, 
and has a specialty in this kind of thing and doesn't know how kids are. Now, there is a very small subset of the population that, of course, suffers from gender dysphoria, true confusion and persistent and insistent discomfort from a very early age in their body. Now, I still don't think that that child needs to be mutilated and put on puberty blockers. I mean, that's crazy and and harmful. And I mean, we're talking permanent sterility, infertility, awful stuff. They're still not the opposite gender. Just because a child has discomfort in their body doesn't mean that they're the opposite gender. But Not all kids who say, I would say the vast majority of kids, 99% of kids who when they're little are like, I'm a boy or I'm a girl when really they're the opposite gender. They're not actually saying that they're a boy or a girl. They could be doing a variety of things. They could be just like testing you as a parent. They want to see what you're going to say. They want to see if they can get away with saying something that they know isn't true or is different from what they've been taught or get away with a lie. They want to see if you're going to correct them. I mean, kids say all kinds of things like, oh, I'm going to have snakes for dinner. And they think that that's funny. Does that mean that they secretly have an intuition that you're about to chop up some rattlesnakes for them and like feed it on their dinner plate? No, kids say really silly things. And at a young age, they're still trying to figure things out. They are still trying to figure out who they are, who other people are. They're trying to label people, put them in categories, put them in context. As we've talked about before, the world is really, really big to babies. It's really big to young kids. You can see them constantly trying to name things, constantly trying to understand the difference between mommy and daddy, the difference between dogs and humans, between dogs and cats, between outside and inside, home and school, and how their behaviors and how their words um, are placed in these different contexts and and situations. They're still learning all of that. So if a three-year-old girl says, I'm a boy, they are not declaring to you some secret knowledge that has been given to them by like the God gods of gender. I mean, this really is like superstitious, pseudo-religious stuff to think that a kid basically from the womb has some kind of like innate sense that they are not the body that was given to them, that they are not the gender that has been their gender or sex from the moment of conception. I mean, that's superstitious nonsense. That's not science. Uh, Here is another doctor, Jeremy Carswell, uh, director at the Genital Mutilation Service, sorry, Gender Multispecial Service at Boston Children's Hospital, basically saying the same thing. A child will often know that they are transgender from the moment that they have any ability to express themselves, and parents will often tell us this. We have parents who tell us that their kids, they knew from the minute they were born practically, and actions like refusing to get a haircut or standing to urinate, trying to stand to urinate, refusing to stand to urinate, trying on siblings' clothing, uh, playing with the, quote, opposite gender toys, things like that. Okay, so here's what I find so interesting about this. We've already covered why this, like, oh, kids know they're trans when they're born, how absolutely mad that is. But they are enforcing very strict gender stereotypes. Basically, what they're saying, they simultaneously say this. You'll see this with the gender activists. They will simultaneously say, oh, there's no such thing as a gendered toy. There's no such thing as a gendered color. There's no such thing as a gendered name or a gendered haircut or a gendered behavior. If girls want to 
you know, do whatever. They, if they like dirt bikes, they can like dirt bikes. If a boy wants to play with the doll, he can play with the doll and he should be free to do that. And now they're simultaneously saying that, oh, well, if a little girl wants to play with a bus or likes to play with cars instead of Barbie, then she must be a boy. If a boy says that he likes ballet or likes the color pink, then he must be a girl. Or if a little girl like sees her brother peeing standing up and she tries it, oh, that must mean that she's really a boy. It's so strange how they simultaneously say that all of these gender stereotypes and gendered behaviors are manufactured by society, and yet they're also saying that kids from a very young age innately know that boys are supposed to have short hair and girls are supposed to have long hair, and they're demanding to have one or the other based on what their gender identity is. But again, once you realize that this is not based in science, that it's based in superstition, that it's based in a kind of religious ideology, you realize that they don't have to be consistent. It's dogma. It, it, it's not any kind of like scientific or truthful, objective understanding of reality or how by, uh, bodies and minds work. It is a kind of pagan superstitious religion and because of that is going to contradict itself and they will never be held accountable for their contradictions of course and if you do contradict them well then you are just accused of being some kind of phobe or bigot or whatever now here is the absolutely terrifying video that we referred to last week this doctor francis grimstad an attending physician at the division of gynecology at boston children's hospital saying that they are performing quote gender affirming hysterectomies gender affirming hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur a hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus the cervix which is the opening of the uterus and the fallopian tubes which are attached to the sides of the uterus some gender affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries so a hysterectomy as she talks about um removes the ovaries, removes the fallopian tubes, and a lot of cases removes the ovaries, but not always. And what's interesting about this is not just how devastating and disgusting this is. I mean, it's a children's hospital, so I guess this is happening to minors. So they don't have the capacity mentally to be able to consent to sex. I mean, we know that. I mean, that's what age of consent laws are uh, based on this idea that no matter what a child says, because their brain is not yet developed, they cannot legally, logically actually consent to sex, but they can consent at the age of 16, 17 years old. We talked about a couple weeks ago, mastectomies are happening to girls as young as 12 in some cases. So at this young age, when their frontal lobe of their brain, which which weighs consequences and makes long-term decisions, it's not even close to being developed because it fully develops at age 25, they are able to make a decision that will render, render them infertile forever? You're telling me that that makes logical sense? Of course, that this is, this is no form of medical care. This is not a form of empathy. It's not a form of love. It's not a form of compassion. I know you're being told that if kids don't get their uterus removed, that they're going to kill themselves. It's not true. It's a lie. You are setting them up to be lifelong slaves to the medical industrial complex, not to mention all of the other psychological issues that they will have because of this. And by the way, if a girl who says that she's a boy, if it's about looking like a boy, why does she need to get her fallopian tubes removed? 
Why does she need to get her ovaries removed? Why? I mean, you know that that can cause early onset dementia, not to mention all of the hormonal issues that she is going to go through. I mean, it's, it is unbelievable that this is not only happening in our society, but it's being glorified. And there are Christians who have the audacity to say that other Christians should affirm this through pronoun politeness. Every time you use um, the quote unquote preferred pronouns for a person that are the opposite of what they actually are biologically, you are playing a part in this. And I know that that's not everyone's intention, of course. And so I'm not impugning all of your motives. I know that a lot of people are just trying to be polite, but that is affirming the entire premise that is the basis for the genital mutilation of children. By calling a woman he or calling a man she, you are affirming this idea that you can declare your identity. And if you are saying that a man is she, then why shouldn't he be able to go into the girl's bathroom? Like, why shouldn't he be castrated? So you see how that all plays together? So in love, we have to be willing to speak the truth to this. And at the very least, to not lie. So every time you declare your pronouns, which gives into this idea that gender can be identified as and declared rather than something that is, every time you call someone a person the sex that they are not, you are, well, every time you call someone their preferred pronouns that don't correspond to their sex, you're lying. Every time you announce your own pronouns, you are still giving in to the madness that, of course, is a leading to the mutilation of minors. And I just won't play a part in that. I'm just not going to. If this has to be a hill that I will die on, I absolutely will die on it. And if you look, by the way, at Boston Children's Hospital and their gender multi-specialty service page, they have on there a toddler. A toddler, a little toddler, I don't know, dressed like a girl. I have no idea what what uh, gender this little child actually is based on what the webpage is called. But so we're not necessarily, we're not talking about, we're not talking about teenagers here apparently. Like in their advertisement on their webpage, they don't have a 17-year-old, they have a two-year-old. A two-year-old? What kind of treatment are they getting for their apparent gender confusion? It's evil. It's wicked. And we as Christians, I know it's often derided as a culture war. It's not. It's not really primarily. It's a spiritual battle. It's a theological battle for us that goes all the way back to Genesis 1. And it is a battle that we absolutely have to fight for the sake of vulnerable people. All right. That's all the serious stuff that we've got today. Now, we have a fun segment, a new fun segment. We're going to start doing these more because honestly, like we need a laugh sometimes. Um, And the fun segment, as you guys know, I don't like low-rise jeans. The resurgence of low-rise jeans is very disturbing to me. Maybe the most disturbing thing that we're talking about today. I don't understand who looks better in low-rise jeans than in mid-rise or high-rise jeans. As a mother, I depend on high-rise jeans. And so... I am very troubled by this new trend. And so I decided that I'm going to rate a few um, low-rise jeans that I've seen, that we've seen out in the wild, that my producers gathered for me, celebrities wearing low-rise jeans. I'm going to rate them 1 to 10. I haven't decided the basis of my scale 
yet. Um, so this is this would be good to watch on YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube, if you're just listening, you should probably turn on YouTube so you can see exactly what I'm talking about here. All right, let's go ahead and pull up the first low-rise jean gal and let's see what rating I, I want to give her. Um, who is this? Dua Lipa, is that a singer? All right, so... These are baggy low-rise jeans. I mean, if I didn't know any better, I would think this picture was from like 1999. I don't recognize this person. I have no idea who she is. Um, of course, she looks cute. She's got a cute figure. But would she look cuter, especially with that top, with some high-rise jeans? 100%. And I mean, these look like they're almost like cargo pants. I sometimes wonder about Gen Z style. Is it ironic? I feel like Gen Z style is ironic. Like they know it's ugly, but like the uglier it is, the trendier it is for them. Like I see them starting to wear these new trendy shoes called Birkenstocks, Birkenstocks and crew socks. I'm like, yeah, I wore those 15 years ago back when they were cool. Get your own. So I'm going to, um, I will rate these. I don't even I honestly don't know what my scale is I think 10 will be the absolute worst and one will be the best I'll rate these a five because they're not awful I can't see any midriff thankfully but they're also pretty ugly because of the bagginess so I'll go with five all right next one. Oh no no who is this arena shake what does she do she is a model. All oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Well, again, another like beautiful person. But here's what's disturbing about this if you're just listening. So she has like a corset on and you can like see her hips between the corset and where her jeans start. It looks like she was going to the bathroom and something startled her and she had to run out of the bathroom. And so she couldn't pull her pants all the way up. So she was like, I'm just, I gotta go. And so I'm just gonna settle with having my pants halfway down my butt. This doesn't even look comfortable. Shoes don't look good with it. I'm going to rate this with 10 being the worst. I mean, I'm sure they could, it could be worse. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with an eight. Like these are, there's no chance in Dante's Inferno that she wouldn't look better in a pair of nice fitting high rise jeans. Again, I just wonder, is it irony? Are you joking? I don't know. All right, next one. I'm ready. Oh my goodness. Holy abs. Um, who is that? And she is a model. Okay. Well, I don't blame her for wanting to show off her six pack. Um, Weird. She looks like she's wearing a bathing suit and a matching blazer. And she's got some like ripped up baggy jeans. Now, I'm a fan of the baggy jeans. I'm not someone, I am not so millennial chuggy that I have to only wear skinny jeans. But um, they look like they're too long, like they're dragging on the street at the bottom. So is the discomfort also part of the plan? I, I don't like dislike these that that much, actually, even though obviously it's way too revealing. And once again, would look so much better with nice mid rise, you know, nice fitting jeans. 
But I like the color of them. I liked ripped jeans. And so I'm going to rate these probably a four, 4.2, 4.2 or so. Um, yeah, they're probably the best of, um, of the three. So there he goes. Is that all we got? Okay, that's all we got. You can submit your votes. You can tell me what you think the best, worst low-rise jean was of today. Um, don't wear low-rise jeans. Mid-rise and high-rise always look better. That is yet another hill I will die on today. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back here tomorrow.